Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? Well, you could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run big appliances like your fridge even longer. And best of all, the new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans already trust Patriot Power Generators. So go to 4, that's the number 4, patriots.com slash Ben to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. So right now, go to 4patriots.com slash Ben. That's the number 4, patriots.com slash Ben. The headlines are changing in a big way when it comes to the story with Hunter Biden. Just over the last 24 hours, I'm going to read you some of the different headlines from major publications. We'll start with the New York Post. Their headline, the White House can't just wash away the stink of Hunter Biden's laptop. The New York Times has a new opinion piece out that says it's never a good time for the Hunter Biden story. Houston Chronicle, opinion, deniers of the Hunter Biden laptop story live in a bubble of lies. Yahoo Finance, just how much money is Hunter Biden hiding? What is his net worth? Newsweek, Hunter Biden laptop scandal is the ultimate American information operation, not misinformation, but information operation. Fox News, headline, if Hunter is indicted, it could open a whole can of worms for Joe Biden. Wall Street Journal, Hunter Biden's laptop and America's crisis of accountability. Now, a quick reminder, if you're listening to this podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe or auto download button and tell your friends about this podcast. Share this on social media. And if you would, write us a five-star review to help us as Democrats have been attacking our podcast recently with bad reviews. Now, all of the headlines that I just gave you over the last 24 hours, you notice that the headlines are changing. And the mainstream media, years later, uh, are starting to report on this story. Why? It's a great question. Number one, we have these new emails that have been leaked from inside the government that show the money flowing between Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. This was not even from the laptop. The New York Times trying to do defense for the White House, getting the story out there a little bit last week, admitting that the laptop is, in fact, authentic. Two years late, Peter Schweitzer also, in his book, was talking about red-handed, about the money flowing between Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. And he said this week in a conversation this, which really helped blow this open and not in a good way for the White House. Peter, you talk about these millions of dollars with the Biden family. There are allegations that some of that actually went to Joe Biden. Can you prove that any of it did? Uh, Yeah. If you look at the Hunter Biden laptop, there's a couple of things that stand out. Number one, uh, that Hunter Biden is paying some of his father's monthly bills while he's vice president of the United States. That's explicitly laid out in the emails. And number two, uh, that Hunter Biden was paying for things like renovation on his father's home in Delaware while Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. Uh, Add to the fact that uh, Hunter Biden is complaining to family members about how he's having to give half his income to Pop, which would be his father. Uh, It's very clear that the president and his son, Hunter Biden, had intermingled finances. Their money was flowing between the two. 
And I think what the Biden family has to be very worried about with this grand jury looking into tax evasion charges for Hunter Biden is there could very well be something that embroils the president himself because nobody was paying taxes on the money that Hunter Biden is using to pay for his father's bills. You think about this, and now this is a real concern for the White House. Uh, I want to go back to that headline. If Hunter is indicted, it could open a whole can of worms for Joe Biden. Absolutely right. That is where they are now concerned the most at the White House over that aspect of the story. Because Biden was, in fact, knee-deep in Hunter's finances. That is the core of this. And it's something that Peter Schweitzer also said when he was on another show this week. Again, he's the author of the best-selling book, Red-Handed, which deals with all of the finances of Hunter and Joe Biden. And when he was on this other show, he was asked that question, like, how bad could this get, right? How bad is the money? He reiterated it by saying it this way. So, Peter, you think Hunter's about to be charged with a crime? Uh, I do. And, Jesse, I think the best evidence is the New York Times ran this piece where they admitted the laptop was real. That was in paragraph 17 or 18. But the story was basically about the grand jury looking to Hunter Biden. And the New York Times got a lot of cooperation from Team Biden, and they were clearly trying to position themselves uh, on the assumption that Hunter Biden is, in fact, going to be indicted. Uh, that's why I think they cooperated. Uh, and I think the challenge and the problem they have, Jesse, is that if Hunter Biden is indicted, that opens up the whole can of worms in terms of Joe Biden's financial connections that you uh, talked about uh, earlier. So is he going to be indicted? You just heard that. If Hunter is indicted, it could open up a whole can of worms. So now what is the White House's decision going to be on this? We know the money was flowing. They lied about it for two years. So now what happens? There's a very good chance that he could actually take a plea deal. Biden was knee deep in Hunter's finances. And if Hunter Biden takes a plea deal with jail time, it may be because he's forced to protect his father. Right. This is all about protecting his father at this point, because you want to be in a situation where you cannot protect your father. Listen to what Peter had to say about that. So take us through those connections. We know about credit cards, joint bank accounts. We know Hunter's boys were doing Joe's taxes at one point. If dirty money was coming in from overseas, uh, untaxed money, and was funneling its way into Joe's pockets, what does that mean in terms of his criminal exposure? Uh, well, it means a couple of things. First, you've got the whole national security component of this, because remember, the money that's coming in from Beijing is coming from four businessmen who funnel at least $31 million to the Bidens. That's in the laptop. And when you look at those four businessmen, each and every one of them, Jesse, has ties to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. So this is not some Jesus. random walk around Shanghai, I'm going to secure a couple of deals. This was orchestrated. But in terms of Joe Biden, 
Biden's uh, legal problems. Uh, he was getting subsidized by his son, paying the monthly bills, paying for renovations on his home up in Delaware. Uh, that's not allowed. A federal law does not allow politicians to be subsidized by family members. But you have the other issue of who's paying the taxes. If you give money to somebody above $15,000 a year, somebody's got to pay the gift tax on that. Did Joe Biden pay that money? Did he claim that money on his income? No. If you look at the tax returns, his financial disclosures, he did not. So this gets messy real fast. And the question, Jesse, becomes, does Hunter Biden become the sacrificial lamb? Does he end up taking a plea deal that might even mean jail time uh, in order to protect his father? I would respond with yes. If this is how deep this goes, if this is how bad it gets, and the White House clearly thinks he's going to be indicted, then if you're Hunter Biden, you take a plea deal to protect your father from the embarrassment or further investigation. Do you become the sacrificial lamb where you say, fine, I'll go to jail for a little bit. You know he'll get great treatment. They'll protect him. He'll get a nice place in jail. They'll make sure that it's not hard time, and they'll probably let him out for good behavior. Do you take that deal to make sure that your father doesn't get in significant trouble to just make this finally go away? I think the answer is more than obvious if you are The president of the United States of America, that's what you're going to be advocating for, which is exactly why the media is writing these stories with all these headlines the way that they are writing them. Look at Newsweek. Newsweek, not conservative, okay? Pretty liberal. Hunter Biden's laptop scandal is the ultimate American information operation. How did Hunter Biden's deprived behavior and his and his family members Dubious dealings with adversaries and oligarchs from Russia compromise and corrupt Joe Biden. What did Joe know and when did he know it? And did he, re- did he directly or indirectly profit? To what extent would and today does the Biden family conduct, conduct loom over vital issues of American foreign policy and national security? Newsweek is now asking. Quote, we were deprived of the answers to these critical questions during the 2020 election. Deprived of hearing the questions asked themselves because of one of the gravest American information operations in history. Masquerading as a defense against a Russian information operation. Now, our ruling class chief organ has admitted it. It took 17 months and 24 paragraphs into an article at first glance unrelated, but buried in a New York Times report on the apparently sprawling federal investigation into Hunter Biden. The, quote, paper of record revealed the truth we've known, long known. Hunter's laptop from hell is, in fact, real. We knew this before Joe Biden was elected. But millions of Americans didn't because the corporate media, the deep state for which it serves as a conduit, and the big tech that propagates their official narratives conspired all together to suppress the true story while amplifying the politically beneficial one. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, you got to understand something about this story right now and why the New York Times and why Newsweek and others are actually writing about it. There's three things playing to their advantage right now. Number one, it's spring break for still a ton of Americans, so people are distracted from reading the news. Number two, you have a huge distraction with a overseas foreign trip by Joe Biden right now. You have a huge distraction in Russia and Ukraine right now as well. And you have another domestic distraction here right now, which is the Supreme Court nomination of judge jackson which has gotten extremely heated and is sucking up all the oxygen in the room this is why newsweek is now writing the articles like they're writing them now i want to get back to this article one poll shows this operation part and partial of a coordinated effort by our ruling class to use every level of power to undermine President Trump while protecting Joe Biden alone may have swung the 2020 election. Newsweek is now writing this. The people who ported to defend, quote, our democracy, in other words, thwarted the republic by concealing from the public the kind of crucial information on which war and peace hinges. The many layers of this scandal are worth recounting because they so vividly reveal a pervasive rot at the core of our country that is poised to fester absent of a massive reckoning. There's the fact the corporate media dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop story out of hand, refused to pursue it, and even ran interference for then-candidate Joe Biden when directly questioned on it by then-President Donald Trump in debates. You know what the media did. We played it for you on this show a couple of days ago. There's the fact, quote, that corporate media unquestionably ran with a narrative that the story was, again, quote, unquote, Russian disinformation when they knew that was a lie to justify their dismissal of the story, despite lacking concrete evidence to substantiate that ridiculous and dubious claim. There's the fact that dozens of senior then-ex-intelligence community officials, 40 of them, in fact, whose profession was supposed to be in all of this, decided that they would sign their name to a letter saying it was probably misinformation. That fed the corporate media that narrative, that they could then say, yep, we're in on this too. Overall, you had more than 50 prominent members of the intelligence community. We're talking about former CIA directors 
that use their names and their reputations to baselessly speculate that the laptop contents and circumstances around their release had all the, quote, classic hallmarks of a Russian misinformation operation. Naturally, they did this so that you would ignore what was actually going on. Trump administration officials actually in command of the intelligence apparatus at the time vigorously denied that charge. Didn't matter because the media had the political cover they needed by quoting former CIA directors and FBI people and people on down from there who all signed their name that said that this had the hallmarks of a Russian information operation. Trump's people that were actually in charge at the time said this is absurd, it's not true, didn't matter. Media had the story they needed. Corporate media said, let's roll with it. There was not one ounce of evidence to justify, by the way, the claims that the media or these 50 prominent intelligence community members had for what they said, much less the letter that they all signed. Why do they do it? It's simple. Newsweek writes, they hedge their bets. They hedge, admitting that we want to emphasize that we do not know if the emails, quote, are genuine or not, and that we do not have evidence of Russian involvement. But they knew, as part of the deep state, that if they gave the cover needed, that there's a good chance they could save Joe Biden, he would become president, and they would retain their power. They knew well, by the way, that Politico and others would run with headlines like Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo. Dozens of former intel officials say, and that's exactly what Politico's headline literally was. Quote, Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo. Dozens of former intel officials say. How contrived was this operation by the deep state? By the left? Consider that it was a former top aide to the former CIA director John Brennan. Perhaps the most Trump-deranged and notoriously dishonest of the overwhelmingly Democrat-serving officials endorsing the letter, who actually arranged for the letter's distribution to Politico. He delivered it to one of the Trump-loathing deep state's friendliest of reporters, perhaps most well-known, in fact, for promoting the Nestorius Steele dossier at the heart of the Russian hoax surely knowing this would set the narrative in motion. So you find the reporter who promoted the Steele dossier, who made it come to life, and you go hand him this letter with all of these deep state people, all of them lefties, who said this was something that they believe is Russian disinfo. And moments later, Politico runs the headline, and every other news organization ran with it afterwards, Quote, Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo. Dozens of former intel officials say. That's not what they said, by the way. It didn't matter. You got the headline you needed. Almost universally after that. The signatories show no remorse, by the way, for the con that they pulled. They all went on TV and they all did their interviews. and They all said, yep, this is Russian disinfo. And then it gave the cover needed for Facebook and others and Twitter to ban you even putting the story out there on the Internet, right? You would get your accounts suspended. You couldn't even share the article from the New York Post about the laptop from hell. It was all worth it for them to replace Trump with someone who spent 50 years getting every major foreign policy issue wrong. 
and who has kept the imperfect streak alive since he's been in office. There's also the big fact that big tech also engaged in the Rubicon crossing censorship, not only preventing people from sharing this story publicly, but also in private messages. You may have forgotten. You couldn't even send the link in a private message to a family member. And if you didn't play by the rules, they would deplatform you. Twitter, by the way, admitted as much months after the election when the damage had already been done. This set the precedent for the ever more widespread, almost decentralizing wrong think censorship that we see today. Donald Trump, who was the president of the United States of America at the time, was banned on Twitter. And the likes of Vladimir Putin are free to tweet at their leisure. Chinese coronavirus disinformation that got people banned six months ago is now the official CDC narrative that's actually promoted on social media. But if you got banned then, you're still gone forever. And the Hunter Biden laptop story looms over it all. And where was the aforementioned media on this censorship? At the very best, silent. Those who benefited most from the First Amendment have, all, have too often become the most outspoken proponents of censorship, particularly when it serves their political agenda, Newsweek writes today. These conspirators cared nothing for combating disinformation. Far from it. They are some of the most prolific purveyors of it. These conspirators cared nothing about protecting democracy. Rather than grapple with the New York Post reporting on the laptop and the corroborating investigations from people at Fox News, Tucker Carlson, and elsewhere, they decided, nope, we're going to serve the candidate that we want to be the president of the United States of America. We don't care if it brings disaster for America, liberty, justice, and free speech. They did so because the imperative to unseat a president whose agenda was far more aligned with the rules of the Constitution than those who were trying to destroy it. That is, they did so out of perceived self-interest, which they may believe coincided with the national interest, but which is practice has proven to do anything but. So why did this actually happen? It's simple. Trump, President Trump, threatened their power, their privilege, their prerogatives. He had rebuilt our military, fostered alliances and partnerships to deter enemies while reducing America's direct obligations abroad. Trump confronted and kept our worst adversaries at bay, led by the greatest adversary of all, communist China. Trump kept America out of wars instead of getting them in wars. Trump was neither the crazed cowboy with the nuclear codes nor the isolated Russian stooge his adversaries attacked him about depending on which week it was and which story worked best for their narrative. He was a peace peace through strength nationalist, and his record proved it. Was this his great sin in the ruling class eyes? Yeah. There's still more intrigue to the story. Why did the New York Times feel compelled to admit it only now? After reporters for mainstream publications like the aforementioned Politico had confirmed the authenticity of contents months ago. It is simple because the case against Hunter Biden billed as a tax matter, but which the Times reported had, quote, evolved into one centering on money laundering and potential foreign agent 
Registration Act charges is built so heavily on the substance of the laptop, it made it impossible to report on the case while outright ignoring it. Or is there something bigger at play concerning the president and his troubled son? Regardless, Newsweek says, the Times' almost inadvertent omission perfectly reflects the entire contrived effort. A ruling class over-the-top obsession with Russian information and influence has served as a diversion from the information operations it has been running against domestic political foes, even in league with foreign actors like the Ukrainians. Trump-Russia collusion was an American information operation. Hunter Biden's laptop being Russian disinformation was actually an American information operation as well. Phony stories, particularly those leaked out by our national security apparatus, like those of Russian bounties in Afghanistan or Trump, called dead American soldiers losers, are in fact American information operations. These operations raise further questions, Newsweek writes. What other such gambits have they executed that we don't know about? What else could they do and will they do to a Trump in 2024, another candidate? perceived to be a threat going forward to their power. The American mind and therefore the body of politics is not imperiled by some Russian troll farm. No, outside of the schools, which cultivate suicidal anti-American self-loathing and wokedom, excuse me, the greatest threat in information sphere derived from a weaponized hyper-political national security apparatus Unmourned from the people it exists to defend. A progressive press that does its bidding. And a like-minded big tech behemoth that works hand-in-hand with them to censor and control narratives. It is infinitely more insidious when the institutions we rely upon to keep us safe, to inform us, and to enable free and open discourse actually conspire against those countrymen with whom they disagree. When then foreign adversaries themselves have a better opportunity to meddle. Quote, we expect adversaries to attack us. To attack Americans like adversaries is to make America like its adversaries. This is an existential threat to our republic. And if none of these actors are ever held to account, it guarantees infinitely worse to come. Again, what I just read from you actually was in Newsweek. Wow. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. I want to pivot to other important news, and that's exactly what's going on right now is a lot of misinformation when it comes to the Supreme Court nominee, Judge Jackson. 
Democrats are starting to feel like they may be losing control of her nomination process. And we're also going to deal with that's happening in Russia and Ukraine. Joining me now to talk about this is U.S. Senator from Tennessee, Bill Haggerty. Senator, this is maybe, for me, the most shocking moment of all is the fact that we have a Supreme Court nominee that did pro bono work for terrorists being detained at Guantanamo Bay. When you heard that, what did you think? Then I thought it was consistent with this entire administration's posture to be soft on crime. I mean, they are they're going to be much softer on criminals than they are on victims, as Senator Cotton just uh, extracted. Uh, No work for victims, no concern for victims. Their concern is to go easy on crime. And what we've seen around the United States, particularly in Democrat run cities, uh, is is just a massive increase in crime here in America. This has been prompted by Democrat leadership. And I'm not surprised at all to see their nominee to the Supreme Court again being soft on crime and, and not being uh, not being attentive to the needs of the victims of these crimes. There's another shocking part about uh, Judge Jackson's history uh, as she has been working in the legal field. And I think the most shocking part is she consistently has gone easy when it comes to one crime and the person who's committed child pornography sentencing. She has uh, documents Uh, court case after court case of her giving criminals convicted of child pornography charges lighter sentences than what is recommended by federal guidelines when when you see that it's not just it's not like a one-off thing it's it's consistent uh i i think it's very clear now that she doesn't believe that there should be tough sentencing for those that are involved in child pornography she even defended the fact that she said well look you can get yourself in trouble real quick with the internet and a few clicks can get you all of a sudden a bunch of child porn so we shouldn't put you in jail for a long time uh if you're on the internet looking downloading sending child pornography but if you send it in the mail then there's different guidelines for that because that shows a real intent I couldn't believe the words coming out of her mouth when I heard this, but this is literally her defense, and you've got to have to vote on this. What did you think? Uh, it was very disturbing to to hear this, uh, Ben. If you, if you think about it, um, this I was talking with Senator Cruz, who attended law school with her. It seems this pattern goes all the way back perhaps to her academic time. But looking at every one of her sentencing uh, experiences when it had to do with this crime, she was at either the very low end of the required sentence or even below even below what the prosecutor recommended so you're as you rightly mentioned she's been consistently consistently off on this consistently in favor of those who perpetrate crimes of of this horrific nature and it's inexplicable to me You, you look at the facts here and for everyone that's listening i hope that you'll understand just uh, I, I would say how clear it is her thought process on this you they found 10 cases where she weighed in on child pornography. Eight of those 10 cases, she was below the minimum sentence, and this ranged anywhere from 14% to 88%. So it's it's obvious that Jackson believes that child pornography, you know, convicts get lighter sentences, and that's a part of her legal mindset. Not only that, she also seems to like to defend terrorists, people at Guantanamo Bay, And this is who we want to put on the Supreme Court while she also has said 
that uh, she won't say that packing the Supreme Court is a bad thing. You add all this up. How in the world have we gotten to this point now where this woman still ha- still with all of this, Senator, has a legitimate chance of being a very legitimate chance of, of, of actually sitting on the Supreme Court of the United States of America? Well, it, it's shocking that someone that puts, puts the rights of terrorists, if there should be any at all, puts the rights of, of uh, horrific criminals, uh, you know, ahead of those of the victims here. That's exactly what we've seen in her record. Um, this question that was asked by Leader McConnell about her uh, p- position on packing the court, she can't answer it. I mean, that's a political question. And what she's, what, I think what's being uncovered through the course of these days of interviews is the fact that we actually have a political activist that's posing as a jurist. What we need to have are people that interpret the Constitution as written. That's exactly what I intend to probe when I meet with her next week. Is she going to interpret the Constitution as it's written, or is she going to be an activist that wants to view this as, quote, a living document? Uh, she's not been able to answer that question either. Uh, is the Constitution a living document, or is it uh, to be interpreted as it was written by our founders? Certainly the latter is the correct answer. Let's see what she has to say. Well, you obviously have colleagues that are Democrats, and I'm not going to ask you to name names, but I do want to get your your take on the on the the feel uh, of the Democratic Party. Do they feel like her nomination is now at risk at all, or is this just such a uh, an activist decision from the very beginning and a campaign payoff? I remind people that Joe Biden made it very clear that he was going to discriminate against all races and all sexes uh, that were not women. <laughs> or African-American with his first Supreme Court nominee. That means he uh, basically uh, segregated and discriminated against about 85%, 84%, if we want to be exact, of the American population. No one was allowed to get this job unless you filled the quota of being a woman and being African-American. And I worry that this is just so much about that quota, that campaign promise, that that we can find out even... And I don't know what's worse than, you know, giving light sentences to child pornographers, child sex offenders and, and defending people at Guantanamo Bay. And also, by the way, not even being able to define what a woman is when it is what got you the eligible for this job. Right. You had to be defined as a woman to get this job. And she couldn't even define what a woman was dealing, obviously, with the NCAA and what's happening with men playing with women. But are there Democrats that are starting to, to think maybe this is not the right person? Or are they just going to put their head down and vote yes? Well, I, I think I know the Democrats you're talking about, and I know that you're being polite not to name names, but I will. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin, who I think has stood up against the, the headwinds of his own party, uh, he's taken decisions that were right for the people of West Virginia. I frankly can't imagine the people of West Virginia want to see a judicial activist like this sitting on the bench, somebody that's going to try to reinterpret the Constitution and push us further to the left. But those are questions that, that the senator from West Virginia will have to answer on his own. I will say this, though. The left knows no bounds. We saw what happened in in Justice Kavanaugh's hearing. We saw what happened when they tried to intimidate uh, Senators Sinema and uh, Senator Manchin. When they don't get their way, they know no bounds. So I think it could be extremely difficult on any Democrat that tries to buck this, that doesn't go along with, you know, the the preordained view that we're going to put an activist in place. Uh, It's going to be very hard for a Democrat to vote no against this. And as as you know, the way it works for a Supreme Court nominee, it takes 50 votes. The Democrats have 50 plus the vice president of the United States, which regretfully Kamala Harris sits in that position right now. So with 50 plus one, they can do this. I'm sure there's a tremendous amount of pressure in their party to um, to, to hold the line on, on whatever nominee they put forward. 
which means it's more and more incumbent on Senator Blackburn and myself to, to point out the issues that are associated with a candidate like this. You, you, you know, I always look at the, the hard left media to see what they're feeling. And you could see it changing, Senator, last night. Uh, Joy Reid uh, was on MSNBC, and she said, uh, quote, I was getting texts all day and have been for the last three days from people who, similarly uh, to what Joyce is saying, would normally not sit there and watch all day a confirmation hearing as I would because I'm a nerd. The outrage is real. He went, it, a lot of it is, quote, blatant disrespect. They're immediately going for the race card here. I tweeted that they were treating her like a black shopper that they were following through the store. Just the ultimate disrespect for her as a human being, as a judge. The fact that her family was there, all because, in Lindsey Graham's view, apparently this whole hearing was payback for Kavanaugh, who nobody told him to sexually violate his high school friends or those girls in college and get accused of it credibly. That is not the fault of Judge Jackson. Apparently, according to Lindsey Graham, she needs to pay for that. They're still accusing Brett Kavanaugh uh, of having rape parties, which we all know is absurd and never happened and wasn't true and not credible, and yet they're going back to this, which makes me think maybe they really are worried that her nomination is in real trouble. Well, uh, they, they should be worried because what's being revealed to the American public, again, is more far-left policy, uh, again, coming through now the judiciary branch. They can't get it done in the legislative field. They can't get it done at the ballot box, so they want to install judges and justices that will push for their far-left policies. Again, not accountable to the people, but this is another avenue, a way that the Democrats hope to end-run the system and get their policies through. And when you see, um, you know, when you, when you see media talking heads like this, uh, you know, going into pivot and full spin mode, uh, I think it does indicate that they perceive themselves in trouble. It's also just terrible to uh, think back about what's been done, going back to, to you know, Judge Bork, Judge Thomas, the, the horrific process that they put Kavanaugh through and then to try to compare, you know, questioning on the judicial record of a nominee, try to compare it to that. Again, they'll they'll, they'll seek the the lowest of lows and go there as quick as possible. Senator, I want to pivot real quick uh, to what's happening in Ukraine. And there seems to be a lot of talk right now about maybe giving half of Ukraine to Vladimir Putin for some sort of ceasefire agreement. We're also hearing now that Biden is going to announce that the U.S. will take 100,000 Ukrainian refugees. Uh, and there's now pe- many that are saying that the Biden administration's policy is they do not believe that Ukraine can stand up to Russia. So they're basically saying, all right, give up part of the country behind the scenes, and then maybe that'll stop all this insanity. Uh, if this is our foreign policy, it is a disaster because the foreign policy is solely based on the actions of a tyrant, not based on protecting people that live in free countries. Uh, I know that's a lot to throw at you, but I know you got a lot to say about it. So uh, let's deal with the first part, which is this real idea, apparently, that's being being floated about at the White House about, all right, well, maybe we say they take half the country and we'll get a ceasefire out of the deal. Your thoughts? Well, you use the word insanity, Ben, and I think that's got to be you know central to the whole process that the Biden administration is, is working through right now. First, they talk about options in public. They, they talk about what we're not going to do. Um, we should leave this uh, in, in a position as ambiguous as possible. Let Vladimir Putin find out what we're going to do, uh, depending on his actions. Instead, he's setting the policy. We're negotiating against ourselves, and we're doing it in public. I, I just find this, you know, as a business person all, all my life, no one handles things like this in business. I was a diplomat. I was the U.S. ambassador to Japan at the time when things were as hot as they could be with North Korea. 
this is not how you negotiate. This is not how you look at the best interest of U.S. national security, nor that of your allies. So what I see is a very naive approach. They're fumbling around in the media trying to see how things, you know, various options may poll. They're flipping ideas so that uh, other allies like Germany can begin to take the lead. They're really defaulting back to the old Obama-Biden policy of leading from behind Ben. And what they're doing is they're jeopardizing, you know, at this, in this point, uh, the Ukrainians, but they're also emboldening uh, other countries like China, who has its design set on Taiwan. Um, and other areas of the world that I think are very hot right now. Uh, this is this is very, very dangerous what they're doing. And again, making national security decisions by press release and by media discussions, not the, not the right approach. You know, Putin has just attacked the petrodollar system is now demanding, quote, unfriendly nations purchase gas in rubles. This come as Russia's ally, Belarus, has granted, and this is not a joke, it's a real headline, January the 6th protesters asylum citing political persecution uh, in this country, trying to dig and punch at anything they can to mess with America uh, using January 6th, which just makes at this point you just got to laugh when when you see them demanding you you, you move your nation's purchases of gas into rubles. and, And also there's still people now apparently saying that they believe that Vladimir Putin should actually be attending the G20 summit uh, that, that is coming up. Uh, absurd. Uh, the whole thing is absurd, but it's obvious that they've got an information war going on, and, and, and we need to realize and recognize the fact that this is not just a kinetic war on the ground in Ukraine. There's a war of information and disinformation. There's something else we need to be prepared for, and that is cyber attacks. Um, you know, Russia is completely capable of doing this. We know that Russian hackers attacked the colonial pipeline just last year. Again, we need to be reflecting strength. Uh, I, I reached out to Secretary Mayorkas, who runs Homeland Security, to Secretary Austin at the Department of Defense last week to ask them what we're doing to make all of our defenses available to private networks, to state and local networks, to make certain that we're defending ourselves against the possibility of other means of, of, of aggression, uh, in this case, a cyber attacks. So we need to be very careful about that. To your point on the G20, um, under the Trump administration, um, when the G20 was held in Osaka, Japan, I was the ambassador to Japan. President Trump actually asked me to take his seat at the G20 for one of the four rounds. I sat next to Vladimir Putin. Um, it's chilling to sit next to a killer like that. And I can't imagine uh, that, that Putin could be welcome in that sort of environment moving forward. The G20 needs to take some action to address that. But the notion that Vladimir Putin could actually be entertained as a member of an organization like that, given what he's done, he's an international pariah. Again, we need to be leading from the front, not behind and demanding that uh, Putin be paying the consequence at every level for the activities that he's undertaking right now. Lastly, I, I want to ask you about the big controversy, which I don't believe should have been a controversy, uh, and that was doing whatever we can uh, to get the uh, airplanes needed to the Ukrainian military. It's, it, we've been dragging our feet. I think this administration has been very clear that that's been their, uh, their idea, is to drag our, their feet. Uh, on on Ukraine and just kind of see what happens uh, when, when you see this being our foreign policy for people that are actually trying to fight for themselves. I'm not in favor of sending our men and women. Uh, I want to make that very clear to Ukraine. I, I, I don't want us to go and die over there, but the people that are living there are willing to fight and defend themselves. We should give them everything they need. And this administration every time is like, well, I'm just concerned that that might provoke Russia. Should we have given them these planes and should we have stopped playing, you know, chess while they're playing checkers and just wiping the board clean? 
Well, two, two points, Ben. I was not one of the people that jumped on that letter to say that we should spend that, this, that we should send the planes over. Um, I was not on that letter, uh, and there's a good reason for that. I'm trying to keep my eye on the horizon. My, my first interest is not to be emotional. I think Zelensky has done a great job of getting the people of Ukraine to support him. I think he's done a great job of getting the people of the world to support his cause. But we need to be deliberate in what we do. We need to be focused on America's interests first. You know, again, Zelensky's doing a great job of making certain that Ukraine's interests are placed first. I have to be responsible for putting America's interests first and keep my eye on the horizon with respect to China, its designs on Taiwan, what's happening in Iran, what's happening in North Korea. And I don't want to see us get so bogged down in one situation that we can't address the others. The situation with the with the MIGs uh, is something that I've had the opportunity now to have a classified briefing. I did not have that benefit um, at, at the time this letter was being circulated, and I would not sign it at that point. Right now, I'll just say this. Um, we are and we have uh, dedicated in the United States Senate a tremendous amount of resource, both lethal resources and humanitarian resources to Ukraine. My focus right now is making certain that those resources get to where they need to be. The Ukrainian people have demonstrated their ability to stand up and fight. They're doing a remarkable job. They need the material to do that. Our job is to get that to them. Rather than escalate things to a point where we have our men and women uh, in a no-fly zone, as uh, Vladimir, uh, Vladimir Zelensky has requested, I mean, that, that puts us right at the doorstep of a direct encounter with Russia. I think we need to be focused on enabling Ukraine, but also making certain that America has the capability to handle challenges that are facing us on multiple dimensions. Uh, and let me just uh, I'm going to ask it a different way because I, I want to make sure I'm very clear, because I think the point you're making is interesting. You're afraid that if we give them those planes, even to their pilots, that this would then make or give Vladimir Putin a reason to escalate things when it comes to chemical or, or even nuclear war. And that is the concern. No, my, my concern is that we help Ukraine in the most effective way possible. I'm not convinced that those planes are the most effective way possible. Uh, Zelensky requested everything that he possibly could. I would if I were in his position, too. Uh, I would request the skies to be closed as he requested in every bit of equipment that he could get. Uh, what we're focused on is the most effective equipment that we can deliver to him. Um, the, there are a lot of complications associated with the MiGs. I won't go beyond that. But the, um, again, according to the classified briefing that I've been able to get, I'm confident that we're focused in the right area right now in terms of our support. We should have been doing this a lot sooner. We should have imposed sanctions well before Putin ever invaded, so we would have had a deterrent effect. We should have been arming Ukraine with what we're pro trying to provide now. We could have provided ahead of time. Again, as I look at Taiwan, I'm thinking in the same direction there. Uh, but we've got to keep our eye on the rise and, again, making certain that we're looking out for America's interest first. Senator, I appreciate your perspective. That's why I want to ask you about it. And I think a lot of people want to understand the logic behind it. And I think you did a great job explaining that. Thank you, as always, for coming on. And obviously, we'll have you back again real soon. All right. Lastly, please make sure you hit that subscribe button or auto download button wherever you are listening to this podcast right now and take a moment to write us a five star review. Uh, many on the left have been attacking our podcast, writing us bad reviews on purpose. So if you would help us fight back by writing us a good review, a five star review and share this podcast with your family and friends on social media to help us grow. See you back here tomorrow. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? Well, you could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. 
This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run big appliances like your fridge even longer. And best of all, the new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans already trust Patriot Power Generators. So go to 4, that's the number 4, patriots.com slash Ben to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. So right now, go to 4patriots.com slash Ben. That's the number 4, patriots.com slash Ben. 